She's a doctor. Hi, I'm Dr. Dovek, and she's a dietitian. Hey, I'm Hannah Schuyler, and together we are the, the Doctor Dietitian Collab. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have our first guest in the house today. <laughs> Dr. Susan Case, a gastroenterologist who has a lot of specialties. And today we are talking about hot girls do, is this true? Hot girls do poop? Hot girls yes, poop. Absolutely. They sure do. Thank you guys so much for having me on your podcast. I'm so honored. No one told me I was your first official guest. Our very guest. first guest. Wow. That yes. is a lot of pressure right now. <laughs> no, we're way fun. You want no pressure. <laughs> I know we are so excited to bring somebody else into our little humble abode in here and uh, into our room with the pink lights and yeah. all of the fun that we are. So let's talk. What is a gastroenterologist anyway? What do you well, do for a living? First of all, gastroenterologists do not play with poop. Number one, we like to talk about it. <laughs> do but people not really think you play. play with it? They really do. Oh. They really do. So, for example, we do colonoscopies. That's where we pass the scope through your colon. First of all, sometimes for uh, for screening colonoscopies to make sure you don't have colon cancer. And then we do it for other reasons, for diagnostic reasons, if patients are having complaints, things of that nature. So sometimes we get patients that decide they want to ride dirty and think that that's going to work for us. But that basically means an unprepped colon. And we don't like unprepped colons oh. because oh, no. we like a clean colon, a colon that we can eat off of, essentially. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds yummy right about now. <laughs> so, okay, how do you guys... So, I know that there's the bowel prep, but what are, like, to, in today's day and age, because I know you don't drink the huge gallon of no, white lady anymore. you can't. Yes. Well... First of all, it varies. It depends. Okay. If you have normal bowel movements, so we like to do what's called the Miralax and Gatorade split prep. It's a little Ooh. bit more palatable. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. But afterwards, people come away hating Gatorade, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. Um, and then if we have patients that have struggling with constipation, they're doing a two-day prep and that whole gallon Oh, really? Gold lightly. You got to get it out. L listen, oh. nobody wants to do a clear liquid diet the day before, two days of clears and changing their dietary habits and then drinking all that and coming in and be like, sorry, it's dirty. We, we can't, can't do, do it. it. And they're like, what? I'm never coming back. <laughs> wow. So, okay. I actually thought that the go lightly thing was a thing of the past. No. Oh, shoot. It's I'm, I'm still <laughs> relevant oh, my gosh. and used in this day and age. Oh, so, okay. So let's educate our, our listeners because yeah. I guarantee we have a lot of hot babes who yes. want to hear all about this right now. Well, about the prep or the colonoscopy? <laughs> I mean, so, okay, there's so much to talk about here. There's so many things there's about. So, poop. there's so many things about poop. So poop comes in all shapes, forms, and sizes. Mm. And we like to refer to our Bristol stool scale, I which is a one Bristol through seven. Chart. Oh, do tell. Oh, yes, we I do I want the tell. perfect poop. You know, to have the perfect poop, you got to be right dead in the middle there, right in the middle. If you're one, you're constipated. If you're seven, you're running like a river. So we want you right in the sweet spot, right in the middle. Three, four, going, you know, soft form, S-shaped, sausage-safe stools, you know, um, once a day or every other day. And you actually feel fully evacuated. That's important. Oh, Just yeah. passing something is not enough. 
Okay, so there's different types of poop. And when should you be worried about this Bristol scale here? Yes, you should definitely be worried if you have an abrupt change in your bowel habits. If you're seeing blood in your stool, that is what we call an alarm sign. So if you see blood in your stool, you need to let your primary care doctor know to refer you to your gastroenterologist so that we can do the appropriate labs and and work up to make sure that we're not missing anything life-threatening such as colon cancer. So when you talk about like an abrupt change in your patterns, um, some so like what are you talking about? Like you're always constipating, now you get diarrhea yeah. or? So patients, you know, first of all, everybody thinks that what they have may be normal, but when they finally come and talk to a gastroenterologist, we're like, that's not normal. Mm. Having diarrhea, having runny stools, um, flipping into constipation and then flipping back into diarrhea, you may have irritable bowel syndrome. Mm. Um, so there's a there's a lot that goes into diagnosing patients with regards to what's going on with their diet, with their bowel habits. So you start from the beginning, you get their history, uh, what their baseline was, what are the respective changes, do their labs and look into their family history and then take it from there to kind of decide what's the next step and most likely there's a colonoscopy in your future. <laughs> Lucky you. Well, I mean, it sounds necessary, but yeah. you talked about irritable bowel yeah. syndrome and I know a lot of our patients struggle right. with that. So irritable bowel syndrome, I the first thing I'd like to say is that irritable bowel syndrome and inflammatory bowel disease, IBD, are not two in one. A lot of people come mm. in and will say, God, doc, I have IBD and I'll be like, well, how do you know that? Well, my doctor diagnosed, I said, you had a colonoscopy? No. Or they'll come in saying, I have IBS. So you can't use the two interchangeable. So IBD is an inflammatory bowel disease that is primarily um, an autoimmune-driven phenomenon that is kind of an interplay of a person who has um, the genes for the inflammatory bowel disease. It's an interplay of the environment and other um, exposures and that bring the disease to fruition. And then with regards to IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome, it is not uh, related to such. It's um, a diagnosis of exclusion where you can have either irritable bowel syndrome um, diarrhea predominance, irritable bowel syndrome constipation predominance, or a combination of the two. But in order to get to that diagnosis, you have to rule out the other um, related uh, disease entities before you get that diagnosis. And a lot of times patients are not unfortunately having the full diagnosis because they come in saying, my primary care doctor diagnosed me with IBS. Okay, what was your workup? I just told him about my stools and he said, I have IBS. Mm. Oh. That's it. That's the workup. And that's not the appropriate workup. It's no. It's a, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. Huh. Yes, and it's primarily highest in a uh, female population. Well, same with our, our patients. 85 to 90% of our patients are also female. Mm-hmm. And is there a relationship to like anxiety, depression, yes. gut-wrenching anxiety kind of like? So when a patient has their formal workup and we come to the conclusion that their symptoms that they're having saying, I have normal bowel movements, doc, and then I don't know, for like a week I get a flare and I'm having like rip-roaring diarrhea. Everything's coming through me. Then I flip back into normal form stools and I don't know what it is. What was your question again? <laughs> Just how is it related to like anxiety? Oh, yeah. So we talked to patients. So uh, irritable bowel syndrome, we, they were like, well, what's causing it, doc? What are the reasons for the uh, 
irritable bowel syndrome. So we talk about three different things. One, that gut brain access um, mm. dysfunction. That's one. The second thing, is it something from a dietary standpoint that you're taking in? So that that's where that infamous FODMAP diet comes into oh, play. Yeah. And then thirdly, could there be a component that your respective microbiome is out of balance? Hmm. So I am very conservative in my approach. I take it very stepwise fashion. We start with uh, the dietary and have them go to a nutritionist. Dietitian, I hope. Dietitian as well. (laughs) And get the foundation because if you want to do the FODMAP diet, which is actually a misnomer. It's not really a diet. I've never heard of that. It's actually an elimination. It should be an elimination diet. You want to go into it's that It's a further? low FODMAP. So FODMAP is a fructose oligosaccharide. It's like all these different sugar yeah. molecules. And so you avoid, you basically eliminate them from the diet. And then a lot of times, and, and I don't deal with this. So, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. there are people who specialize in low FODMAP and digestive health. And that's health, their expertise. And that's their expertise. Exactly. Um, but then you would try, you can try to reintroduce. And see which one is Is there a specific one. But it's interesting because it's a lot of foods that we generally think of healthy. As right, health, exactly. So that's, but here's the thing: it's it, that so many patients are getting placed on this FODMAP diet, but it's not a diet to be on. So they're excluding all these healthy things that they shouldn't be. It's an elimination Ooh. diet. So they're coming, Doc. I've eliminated all these things on the FODMAP. Like, no, you're supposed <laughs> to be doing this over a very structured period of time so when you are telling your patients to go and do this without the appropriate direction right it's a disaster because now they're eliminating things that are good for them but they have this under or misunderstanding that they're supposed to avoid all these healthy things forever forever more which is really unfortunate so whenever i see a patient in the office um i try to let them under uh, they'll come in and say i'm doing the fodmap diet i've eliminated everything i was like well have you tried to reintroduce these things (laughs) or like no, I thought I was supposed to just keep them all out of my out of my diet. And so then oh. I send them to a nutritionist, dietitian who has expertise to do the elimination diet correctly. And I have actually had a lot of successes where patients are uh, coming in, a person was having severe IBS constipation and they identified that it was watermelon that they were having every day on their salad that was driving their Wow. IBS. Really? Another patient, guac, um, avocado. Really? Another patient couldn't tolerate the green peppers, but could tolerate the red, yellow, and other ones. I don't know what's in That's the green so pepper. I don't know if it's... It's so strange. Yeah. Like, you're like, he's like, for real, I can only... It would trigger their respective IBS. So, yeah, we're really doing a disservice to our patients who are going online and eliminating healthy nutritious foods that they should be having when it's really supposed to be an elimination diet yeah i mean i think if i had to do an elimination diet as a dietitian i would need to go see a dietitian right. like I, I wouldn't yeah. know how to start to do it me too yeah. I'm, a, yeah I'm a gastroenterologist and i'm like i don't i really i'm like listen let me be quite frank with you I don't even know where to begin. So these are yeah. these individuals are trained. They know how to teach you, guide you, so that if there is a component of something that you're eating in your diet and it's one thing or more than one thing, 
wouldn't you want to, you know, wouldn't you want to identify it so that you could be over this? Right. So that maybe when you say, okay, now I've identified the things that caused me my rip roaring diarrhea, but I love it so much. I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to suffer through it. You know, it's like the dairy situation with, you know, lactose intolerant. Lactose intolerant people love eating dairy. Exactly. But you know, you're going to suffer. Yeah. But at least if you have that insight and understanding it won't be so scary. Or the mm. forethought to take lactate. Uh, yeah, that too. Some people say it doesn't really work well for them. So, Well, I mean, geez, there's so many things. I have like a billion questions. Oh, First yeah. off, like, okay, how often should you even poop? You So I tell patients that you should be pooping at least every day or okay. every other day. And again, feeling fully evacuated. What happens if you feel like your rectal vault has not been fully evacuated? If you're feeling like your rectal vault is not fully evacuated, so we have to figure out why you are not able to actually fully evacuate your vault. Is it because you're having some pelvic floor related dysfunction? Um, is it just because you're, um, someone today said, Doc, uh, my poop pushing power is low literally today <laughs> wow. wow i feel i, I, I okay oh, yeah. i gotta come see you okay so okay so then yeah or what's they that have, about or they have like slow or they have um basically um their transit time through their colon is slower <gasps> so once um, things go through your small bowel in a liquid format. They get into your colon. And your colon's job is to absorb water from that to give it its form. If it is taking a very long time to get through, it's going to drive that constipation. And then you're going to get to the rectal, your um, rectal vault, sigmoid area, where we're supposed to store things. And that's supposed to trigger to our brain and say, hey, Susan, you know, when convenient, might be a good time to you know, head to the local restroom, but then patients um, can't go because they're constipated. And maybe it's because they have slow transit time. So we want to put them on some medications to help promote better transit time and also soften their stools. So transit time, what would you say, like if I ate a meal, how long does it t- average should it be kind of coming out? Average, should it, the meal that you ate should be coming out Gosh, off the top of my head, I'm not 100% okay, sure. Okay, why well, didn't I? I don't there's, even know. There's a way you can try it with like a blue muffin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people, food, yeah, yeah, yeah. You put like food yeah. dye in something. Like I've seen people, they're like, you can do it. Uh, we're like, going to do a little a experiment. We're going to yeah. report back to all of our fans. How long? Yes, but I'm sure you know that, uh, obviously you probably know this very well, like patients ask um, when they have um, gastric emptying study, yeah. if emptying issues, transit time from the stomach to the small bowel of a meal should be compl- almost completely completely empty within four hours. Wow. I mean, and I think that that is a lot of things with diabetes and gastroparesis. Well, now thinking into, I mean, obviously people who've had bariatric surgery, we've changed that, but then thinking into some of these weight loss drugs that are slowing that motility, slow, you know, lengthening that that transit time. So here's something very, very interesting. I had a patient who came in to see me about having really bad abdominal pain and also really bad reflux and like, doc, I just can't eat and I'm just uncomfortable. I'm miserable. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, maybe, you know, have esophageal reflux and maybe you're having some peptic ulcer disease, um, some maybe gastritis. So let's, let's do an upper endoscopy. Well, before we go there, so looking into her, the rest of her history, I inquired, um, so you're on, um, 
one of the your weight loss medications? And she said, yes. And I said, uh, how much weight have you lost? And she said 40. She was very happy with this, the progress she made. And I was like, mm, would you say that you have started experiencing some of these symptoms like since being on it she's like i'm not really sure maybe but it's probably since after it's, it's it's obviously after i started this but not like immediately after so i'm like you know we're gonna do an upper endoscopy so we go and we do an upper endoscopy there is like a huge food bezoar in her <sighs> stomach and i i'm and i'm like is this from this real true delayed motility that these patients are going to start coming in with these food bezoars or it's really? yeah she's never had this issue before wow. it literally happened after starting the therapy what what, what was it a glp1 agonist was it fentramine what was it this was med? it's glp1 okay yeah wow so now i'm like okay i like what do I do? So I'm like, okay, I want you to go on a clear liquid diet and I'm going to rescope her and see if it makes its way downstream. So now it's just because she's having, she's really miserable. Like yeah, miserable. How big is the bezoar? It's encompassing her whole stomach. Whoa. So that's huge. It's huge. It's as big as the stomach. Like I, I insufflated the stomach and there's this huge, long, Bezoar. I can't even see downstream past really? it. I can't see the part of the stomach that transitions into the small bowel, which is called the antrum of the stomach. I can't see it. All I see is the top and this huge log bezoar, which wow. is all compacted. There's yeah. there's no there's no liquid around it. There's it's just stuck. Oh boy. Oh my god. I don't know. Have you heard anything? Never. I mean, now that these new weight loss drug medications are being more readily prescribed, whether through our gastroenterologists who are, you know, involved in um like the gastric balloon and all yeah, that. Yeah, the gastric balloon, things of that nature. Uh, then our primary care doctors, and then we have wellness centers, sure, and, right? Who are who are prescribing? Are we going to start seeing this more in the in the public? I don't really know the studies. Am, and, yeah. Wow, that is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, I've I don't never know what to do. I'm, I'm like, do I tell her to stop it and see what happens? But now I've got this food bezoar. Well, how are you going to get rid of that? I don't know. Well, okay, you know there there's um. Uh, patients that trick a trick um oh the hair thing the hair thing yeah uh what's it trichin trich trichinosis it's no no that's phobia it's a it's a it's or, where where it's a type of hair. where you eat your hair and you actually get yeah. a the hair, hair bezoar yeah and that needs surgical intervention like you have to have a surgery is there something oh that we can give patients to break down the food? There has to be, right? I'm like, can you get or like enzymes gonna, or something? I know. Or are they going to need surgical intervention? Oh, my gosh. I don't. I mean, I'm just baffled by this. I have had to operate on a post-op gastric bypass patient yeah. when they have a food bezoar that is occluding the JJ, the jejunar yeah. jejunostomy, the downstream wide-looking connection because it kind of gets lodged there. Mm -hmm. But not in the, the stomach. is the huge. Stomach, can you, the whole st stomach. Can you describe to the team, to everyone out there listening, how okay. big this thing is then? Oh my gosh, how big? I would say it's the size of, let's see, a, not... Uh, like a size of like a small Nerf football. Oh, I couldn't get around it. Yeah. I insufflated. I put meaning I put air in the stomach. That's what we normally do. So we pass the scope from the mouth, go down the esophagus, 
um, past the end of the esophagus where there's the um, uh, the sphincter and we go into the stomach, we put in air to start evaluating stomach, um, evaluating the small bowel, and then boom, I run into this huge food bezoar, which is most likely, it's like literally that I'm big. Just, I'm blown away. I'm blown away too, but I, I, I'm going to say listeners, we're really big into the medical weight loss scene here, yes. so I would not dissuade anybody. I would not dissuade, but I'm just saying this is something that is yeah. interesting. That's that, uh, we're going to keep our eye on this. Yeah, yeah you should I, write I that case you, study up. Yeah, you I could will. get published with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. mean seriously. So I mean, all this stuff you're talking about, food bezoars and poop and going out with the colonoscopies. Yeah. Why did you want to be a gastroenterologist? You know, there's everything for someone. Um, I guess for me, uh, I would say that when I was so my brother was actually diagnosed with ulcerative colitis at six years old. Mm. So that really impacted me a lot. Um, then I went to medical school and I still had a, a very, very high interest. And then I decided I wanted to do um, internal medicine because it offered me a wide array of subspecialties. And I decided on gastroenterology because um, my understanding through my brother initially and then um, later in uh, life, I too was then diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, so uh, do you have ulcerative colitis or Crohn's? Mm -hmm. Ulcerative colitis. You have it too. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when patients say, so so, you know, it it really gives you a very unique perspective. I always say um, God doesn't give you something you can't use in the future. I'm never a victim. I'm always a victor, a victor in any situation. So take whatever challenges and turn it into something beautiful and um, try to have an impact um, with what I've gone through and help other people. So it's impacted me that it's actually uh, initially my brother's ulcerative colitis had a strong impact on me. And then I became the, the patient. So I know exactly what patients are going through, what families are going through. I'm I'm on both sides of the table. So when a patient is looking at me and saying, doc, I'm really scared to start this biologic or this therapy, I don't necessarily start my conversations, but when patients are being really open and transparent, I say, let me, let me rest, let me reassure you in the sense that I was actually diagnosed at 16 years old. Mm. Wow. I, uh, wow. Okay. I mean, you have a great Instagram presence. Yeah. Um, go ahead and do a plug, a shameless plug there for them oh, to, yeah. to check it's you out on at Instagram. Doc, at Dr. Dr. Susan and my last name, Case K A I S. So I uh, talk a lot about educating the patients and patients with IBD about evidence based information that's impactful. Uh, for their inflammatory bowel disease. So I take these studies and I dissect them and make them more palatable and understanding, understandable for a lay audience. So they can also be up to date with the research, the findings, as opposed to not to minimize other Instagram profiles or anything like that. Um, but my platform is just to make sure that you're in the now with everything that's going on. So you have an understanding I mean, I think it's awesome. And I think for a lot of our patients, whether they have inflammatory or irritable or just plain old constipation, right. I we get every uh, second all of the time. Because when they follow the high protein diet, also they have. But what what's your like 
I'm sure you have a spiel on constipation. Yeah. Um, I'm not pooping every day. What should I do? So when you're po- not pooping every day, you should come talk to your uh, local gastroenterologist so we can figure out a bowel regimen. So oh. first of all, I-, I take the most conservative approach. So we want to, number one, are you drinking enough water in the day? Oh, yeah. Are you eating enough fiber? And are you actually exercising that you're actually promoting gastric, you know, motility in your GI tract? So if you're not, let's try to see if we can correct those things before we start throwing a lot of things at you, mm-hmm. right? So let's say they are doing all those things. Well, then my my next step is to go to um, uh, Miralax, which is basically a medication, a powder that you mix with uh, any cold liquid and the... Um, the purpose of the Miralax is to draw water into the colon, which is like we spoke earlier, the colon's job is to pull water out, right? Mm -hmm. And now we're pulling it back in to help promote things to slide through the colon a lot smoother and uh, much more easier. Um, Aside from that, if that doesn't work, then we add on a stool softer. Let's see if we soften up the stool and continue the Miralax. And remember, the Miralax is not habit forming. It's not going to make your bowels lazy. You can um, titrate up on that. It's very safe. And I tell patients um, they should do a dose for a, w- for a week and see if that's actually getting you to one good bowel daily or every other day. If it's not, go up until you get there. If you develop diarrhea, you need to cut back. So only you know mm. based on what you're eating and what your bowel habits are like with the medication. Now, let's say you do all those things and you fail. Then we start, um, then I start talking to them about the um, prescription medications because you don't want them on laxatives and long term. You just want them on that as an ad as needed. So there's things such as Linzess, Amatiza. Mm. So there's prescriptions. There's a lot of different things right now on the market that can help with the constipation. But I, my initial approach is, you know, what can you do in your home before jumping to medications? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's so smart. What about um? What are your thoughts on some of the other over-the-counter remedies like Dolcalax, Smooth Move Tea, Seneca? Oh yes, 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 yes. So patient, I love Smooth Move Tea. I think it's great. It can really get you going. Seneca as well. A, a lot of times, these patients have tried a whole bunch of things and they've said they failed. And I like to reinvestigate. So how did you take it? How mm-hmm. long did you take it? Did you just try it for two days and you say it's a failure? You know, so you got to do a little bit more digging because these things work if they're taken appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned like diet, obviously, like fiber Mm -hmm. is a big one. And for bariatric patients, it can be super difficult to get in adequate fiber Mm -hmm. because of the size of the stomach. What are your thoughts on fiber supplementation? I think, you know, fiber supplementation is fine as long as you're getting in the right appropriate amount and you're getting your fiber supplementation from a reputable uh, company with, you know, not just any will and just not anything. Yeah. So like a Metamucil. Like a Metamucil, Benefiber. Even people do these, um, you know, you, you can go to, you know, your local um, nutrition store and they have all these great various organic this, that, mm. um, different things because patients have certain, you know, allergies or intolerances. So there's so many ways to get in more fiber these days and just trying to stuff your face. So we're really fortunate. It's just, you know, helping guide the patient's um, to the right one. And I also encourage them to bring in what they're taking so I can actually look at it myself and try to see if it's a good choice or if there's something in, in it that might not 
it might be working against them Mm because, you know, there's so much out there. Yeah, that's so true. And when you talked earlier about the irritable bowel sometimes being related to your gut biome. So tell me about like probiotics or about what is this whole microbiome you can speak of? So in the the simplest way, when I'm talking to patients in the office with IBS and about their microbiome, so it could be a imbalance of your microbiome. So there's so many things that can alter your microbiome from your antibiotics you ate, antibiotics that you took, uh, the diet that you're taking in. And so there's good guy bacteria and there's bad guy bacteria and you need both you need a balance of both so when these bacteria get out of balance it can lead to issues that can contribute to irritable bowel syndrome specifically with diarrhea um, predominance IBS so there's a medication that's approved for IBS diarrhea predominance by the FDA it's called Zyfaxin Mm. and so that's to help promote an improvement in the microbiome and you'll be surprised you, you start patients on this medication and once they take the course, the recommended course, which is 14 days, three times a day, they have a resolution of their IBS, as simple as that. And you can do this course, it's FDA approved twice during a one year cycle. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm shocked about this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So so do you just assume that, okay, it's the process of elimination. That's so, how yeah, we got I to it. I always start with patients. I say, listen, these are the three things that can contribute to it. It could be one. It could be all three. Let's try to identify the most identifiable. Let's start with is it something that you're eating on a regular basis that you're just not appreciating and understanding? Mm-hmm. There comes a dietitian nutritionist that FODMAP elimination. I have them come back. What was the results? I found something, doc. Fantastic. And then I never see them again. It's wow. resolved. Then they say, you know, we didn't really find anything. Okay, now we start going in down that road of, what else is going on mm-hmm. now? Is it that gut brain access? Mm-hmm. Is it something that you're stressed that's contributing? So we start talking about getting into tricyclic antidepressants, TCAs. You start talking about SSRI agents for the treatment of IBS and try to identify things in their life. And then um, talking to them about maybe seeing a behavioral health specialist or to teach them coping mechanisms and try to identify that. Um, And so it's just really a stepwise approach. But do you know that the number one most effective treatment in IBS, what that is? I don't know. What? Patient-doctor relationship. The mere fact that your doctor establishes a relationship with you, believes that you have these symptoms, Mm. is the primary number one treatment, is having a strong patient-doctor relationship. I mean, I just want to come to you right now. I can only imagine, (laughs) are you like totally overwhelmed with your like patient load? I mean, it's just... I know. I mean, I I enjoy oh. what I do. Um, you know, every you know everybody. There's different people for different things, and this is what I was meant to do, and I enjoy doing it. And um, I I love it when you know initially I see IBS patients on a quite regular, frequent basis, and um, then we get to a point where they don't need me anymore, and that's the point. Yeah. You don't, you that, if wanna, I'm doing my job, you, you don't, need, you don't point. need me anymore. Yeah. If you're coming back to me all the time, I'm clearly missing the boat. Well, I, I do have some questions that maybe will keep people away from you in a good yeah. thing. So back to the whole, okay, I took antibiotics and then I want a probiotic for whatever reason. Oh, yeah. Which one do you recommend? How do you... There's, so honestly, there's so many probiotics out there and I tell patients, they'll come in with their probiotic and I'll say, they're like, doc, do you think this is a good one for me? I say, wait. Have you started taking it? 
Um, I started taking it. Yeah. I said, how many, there's 30 pills in this, in this bottle. And I'm like, what I want you to do, you bought it. You paid a lot of money for it. I want you to take it for the whole 30 days. And if you notice any improvement, continue taking it. If you don't, don't waste your money. The best, because these probiotics transiently change your microbiome. If Mm -hmm. you stop taking them, it's just going to revert back to whatever your daily lifestyle eating habits are. So the way that you actually change your microbiome is you change your eating habits and your lifestyle. It's what you put in your mouth and the choices that you make that makes the changes in your microbiome Mm. that are not, they're not transient. Wow. You want to give it the good you want the food that exactly feeds that good, good bacteria, exactly. which is your fiber-containing mm-hmm. foods, fermented yes. foods. Yes. Um, you want to eliminate the um, excessive carbs that feed the bad guys. Mm-hmm. So I tell mm-hmm. patients, excess carbs feed the bad guys, and the bad guys are the ones that are the methane-producing mm-hmm. gut bacteria. That's the one that gives you all the gas, the cramping, the discomfort. Let's mm-hmm. talk about gas. Oh, yeah. This is a favorite topic of our patients. Uh-huh. I get this call. I've actually got this call after hours on the emergency line before that my farts stink. Your farts should stink. <laughs> what we hear all the time is that farts are stinking. I'm telling you, I know my body. I know the way I smell and my farts stink worse after bariatric surgery. Do you have any thoughts as to why they stink well, worse? Again, here you, you, you know, you do this surgery, you've changed the anatomy, you've changed the environment, you've changed the microbiome. Mm. And what are you putting in your body, right? What are you feeding your gut? So if you're actually, if you're fresh post-op and you're no longer feeding the carbs, so actually farts smell better if you're feeding the carbs and the bad guys smell better than the good guys, perhaps? Perhaps. I don't really know. I haven't really done that study. (laughs) Can we do that study? That's your next one, yeah. How do you have farts? Farts sniffers. We need a double-blinded placebo. Oh, my God. That must be a good guy, I guess, right? That's a good one right there, folks. That's a good one. Like my dad used to say, this fart could take out an army. Uh, I think we've all experienced someone. Are you okay? Go go to the bathroom. My kids are ripping. Actually, I'll tell you just a little personal side note. The best poops I've ever seen enviable. You're talking about sausages. I'm talking about like snakes that come out, like a cobra come out. (laughs) Is my four-year-old daughter Liv. Wow. These poops are legendary. She like, They're iconic. I'm going to play this clip at her graduation party. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) She's going to be so proud to hear mom's Mm -hmm. hair. I mean, I kind of legendary She's told me about this before. This is not the first time that I've heard that Liv has great poops. I mean, they're perfect. There's a perfect scale would be Liv's poop is perfect. I'm wondering, it's the golden poo. The golden poop every time too. She is consistently perfect. Well, that's the way to be. That's that's the gold standard right there. Do you think it would be weird if I like posted pictures of like yes. Liv's poops for all the weird. That's super versus, weird. Ver- versus abnormal. Just yeah. just post the Bristol school. The Bristol school okay, yeah. I could do that. That's, yeah. yeah that we can, people yeah. would appreciate that. Okay. We yeah. can go there. We can go there. Okay. So I have a lot of other questions for yeah. you. Um, n- number one, we talked about colonoscopies to start this um, episode. Yeah. When should you get a colonoscopy? So right now for um, the general population that don't have increased risk of colon cancer 
or polyps in their family. Um, the recommendations used to be 50. Now it is 45. Mm. Now, if you have a, um, if there's a family history of colon cancer or polyps, then that's going to change the recommendations and the guidelines, depending on when that family member was diagnosed with the polyps when the, uh, and or the, the cancer. Got it. And so when so, you have it, so you have the colonoscopy, mm-hmm. let's say it's normal. When do I see you again? So it's if it's normal and you're coming in for your screening colonoscopy, no family history, meaning no colon cancer, no polyps, you do your colonoscopy, it's completely normal. You're going to come back in 10 years. That's what our current guidelines are presently. Who's not to say they might change in the future, but right now it's 10 years. Okay. Um, if you have a family history and you're coming in for your first screening colonoscopy and you have a family history of colon cancer or polyps and it's normal, you are coming back in five years, not mm. the 10. What, okay. what degree of family? Uh, your So first degree, like your mom, dad, brothers and sisters. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then let's say you find a polyp. Mm -hmm. So if we find a polyp, we remove them. We send them to our pathologist. They actually, they evaluate them under the microscope and they tell us what kind of polyp it is. So if it is a benign polyp, meaning it has no precancerous features or polyps that do have precancerous features, they'll tell us. And based on that, we'll determine when you need to come back for your next one. So, and it's also based on the size of the polyp, the numbers of the polyps found. So there's a lot that goes into determining when your next one is. Mm. And, you know, how often... Have you seen colon cancer in, in your career? So I'm in the business of st- preventing colon cancer. So when I see the colon cancer, I would say in my career, I probably have seen 20 colon cancers. Okay. Wow. Well, that's okay. That's reassuring. But it's also to say if you're 45, yes, you need to get the colonoscopy. Yes. No family history and sooner if, if not. Yes, exactly. And I will say that what's really shocking is um, the ones that we do find the colon cancers in, they actually had symptoms that they just kind of thought were not a big deal or they well, what put are them the up. symptoms so then? I mean no, they had symptoms like you get into a rectum and you find you know rectal cancer and you say you haven't been having any like difficulties having bowel movements or seeing any blood in your stool or change in your bowel habits like you didn't like you're coming to see me for a screening colonoscopy and I'm doing a screening colonoscopy this is my first time meeting you and after the procedure finding this and you start asking a little bit more questions like you didn't have any like well I I did have changes in my bowel habits and I have been having some intermittent blood but like it would go and come and go you know mm. so that's why we say you know if you're having changes in your bowel habits that is are not normal for you. If you're seeing blood in your stool, these are alarm signs. You need to let your primary care doctor know and you need to come and see your gastroenterologist to do the appropriate um, evaluation and workup. What do you think about other evaluating tools like Cologuard, Hemocol so, oh, test? This is a, that's a great, 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 great segue. So I see this happening so often. First of all, Cologuard, uh, I see it so often where Cologuard is given to patients who they have a family history 
of colon cancer mm. or polyps. That's not the appropriate screening mm -hmm. modality in that population. What's appropriate is a colonoscopy. So we have a so that's really not appropriate. So if you have a family history of colon cancer or polyps, Cologuard is not the correct test for you. You are at an increased risk and there's no better test than actually having a colonoscopy. Because as we know with all tests, there's false negatives and there's false positives, right? Mm -hmm. And you're already at an increased risk with regards to your family history. Also, I've seen Cologuard be given to patients that have a personal history of polyps. Mm. No, that's not the that's not the recommended use. Cologuard is for patients that do not have an increased risk of colon cancer um, personally or through their family history. So do you think it's a good screening study if you don't have any if of those other things? If you don't, like, again, it's a test, right? It has its positives and negatives. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, I always go with the colonoscopy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd want somebody to actually look. Um, the fecal health blood testing, you know, a lot of our colleagues in the ED like to do it. It's not something that we as gastroenterologists will order, but when you have a positive fecal health blood test, that does warrant further evaluation with an endoscopy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, a lot of our patients' anatomy's changed. We have the the farts that are smell a little bit We have some constipation. Farts smell. A lot of constipation. <laughs> so I don't know how often you treat our post op patients, um, but they always they ask a lot about. Um, they're worried that they're going to have diarrhea, but we just don't see it much. Have That's you seen great. that? I as well have not really seen that post bariatric surgeries. I will see the big the most common. Um, patient that I see post some uh, bariatric surgery is a for abdominal pain, right? Mm -hmm. For abdominal pain, and these patients may have developed, you know, ulcers at their anastomosis, or you know, taking something, or they're not supposed to be taking certain medications, NSAIDs, and or drinking alcohol, and they come in with you know ulcers. Mm -hmm. That's the most common ones I I've seen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for I sure. I don't see them for the diarrhea. I don't see them I, for the constipation. Yeah. I, I really don't. Like, I really don't. Now that you make me, you know, think about my uh, and my patient, patient population yeah. that has bariatric surgery and why am I scoping them? Obviously, the upper endoscopy for abdominal pain. And then, you know, the patients that need their respective screening or surveillance colonoscopies. Mm -hmm. So I think one question our patients would have in terms of having their regular colonoscopy yeah. or for these other issues, how, because their stomachs are so small, how do they get in? You talked earlier about the go lightly still being oh. that. How do they do their bowel prep? So bowel preps, um, there actually are different types of bowel preps. We talked about the go lightly, which is like a leader for the patients that are really struggling Ooh. with constipation. But there are also more small volume preps um, that are out there as well. So based on your past medical history, we'll decide what what's the best prep for you, right? So we could do a small volume prep as long as they're having regular bowel movements every day, every other day, feeling fully evacuated, not really having any suffering from um, any respective uh, constipation. If they can't do a large volume prep, then we'll just kind of spread out when you start changing your dietary habits to promote getting things out in a timely fashion mm -hmm. over a period of time as opposed to trying to push it all at one time, especially when you have that, you know, the pouch and you have your bare, you know, changes in your upper GI tract anatomy. Yeah, for sure. Now, when a patient comes in, 
and they are experiencing some of these things like constipation and all that kind of stuff. You talked a little bit earlier. I just want to, because we get this question so much that I'm surprised you haven't seen the constipation no, kind of a situation. Haven't. Oh my gosh. That's they're all, all. They're all going to you. Wow. They're going to the expert. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you talked about, of course, we try to do just, just to kind of close the loop on this because this is so common. I yeah. know that a lot of people who are listening to this episode want to know like, how do I just have that perfect poop and how do I go there? <laughs> So they're doing the things. They're drinking the more water. They're getting the fiber into their diet. They're doing some of the -the over-the-counter safe, non-habit-forming things. And then what is your threshold, finally, for prescribing medications? And do you ever prescribe lactulose? I believe it. Yes. Okay. So if we've tried, if we've really tried, if we really tried all the over the counter remedies and we're doing all the right things, and we, you forgot to mention exercising, Exercise. oh, yes. movement. walking, movement. Yes, yes, I have yes. a question yes. real quick. What about the squatty potty? The squatty potty is real. It is real. It is real. That angle, you know, but it's a hard angle. It's kind of uncomfortable, yeah. but it does work. If you actually huh. try, have, have no, either of you tried? No, you have to try it. What's it? What's your? You're like leaning so like forward. It's like you're leaning forward, and your the position of the angle is more. It's like a step stool. Yeah, that goes around your toilet, toilet and you, so you stand, put your feet up, and it kind of oh. repositions the back of your pelvis, so it gets more aligned. Do and like open, a, open things. It opens things up, so you can have. Hopefully, Hannah, can we do an Instagram live where you're demonstrating it? <laughs> I, no, absolutely not. I don't actually have one, but they do make now like pretty ones they too. Do like make you can get like ones, a bamboo yeah. one as All opposed to like a white potty. Like, really? Plastic. Yeah, but and they two do heights. work. Yeah, they, it, it does. It does work. It you know changes the angle there. It opens things up for you. If you're having a little um, a bit of obstruction from you know your just the angularity of your anatomy of your rectum sigmoid um, area. I'm one other question. Yes. What about the like stomach massage where it you go works. like up and yes, it works. You, you start should, lower you right start on the right lower side and massage across. Mm-hmm. And so also patients who are like, I feel like I have so much gas. Yes. I say lay you lay lay on your left hip and shoulder. You will pass gas. Walk will help you pass gas. Movement, it's it's just trapped and it needs to come out. Mm-hmm. Doing the massage will help. Getting stimulating. It's just, again, promoting movement in that GI tract. Let's say you have normal bowel movements. Everything's yeah. all good there, but you just constantly have like, gas, you're farting, you have pain, cramping, the whole thing. What it, you- that's because you're just not moving your bowel. So back to the, what you were asking me. So we've we've done all the uh, conservative stuff. Okay. We have done, we're doing the exercise. We've actually validated that you have tried literally everything over the counter and there are patients that have and we make sure that's the point where like they're miserable we decide to proceed with a prescription medication okay I got to know, what percentage of the population has these elusive perfect poops? Because I feel like... I don't think anyone ever... I've never had anyone come in and say, Doc, I have the golden poo. I think just live. (laughs) Sorry, that's it. She claimed it. No one else has. Wow. I mean, I can't even say that I have a perfect poo. I know. I'm like nervous over here. I'm like, no. No, I mean, something wrong with me. What's wrong with me? I'm like, I can't wait to get off this podcast because as soon as the the recording goes down, I'm like leaning in. And like, all right, I'm coming in. I'm not even joking. Yeah. 
She's going to show up at your office. I will. I'm like, you need to like, like, look at this. Well, how many times have you guys had patients actually come in taking pictures of their poo and oh what God, they so see much. so uh, much, right? This I, is what's going, this is what's I'm coming out, Doc. You never do? Mm-mm. Well, well I, they save them I, for you, I guess. I guess. Oh, I've seen for me too. Like, yeah. I remember one time I was at like PF Chang's and I was like sitting there and it was like, and I don't even know how they got my thing. And I look, I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. gosh. <laughs> like, okay, I got it. You you have diarrhea yeah. after surgery. Like, I mean, I know what diarrhea looks like. What do you think this is? What, I, what do you think it is? It's what do you think it is? I would never forget. I can remember I was sitting. I remember being like, oh, it was like all of the, like, I, I put up PF on the Chang's. wall. Like, I, it's too close the, the for combo, comfort. Yeah, the yeah. combo there is just really unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Oy. but I guess it's a good thing. They feel comfortable enough to talk about it because... You know. Yeah, exactly. Everybody poops. Everybody poops. Hot girls poop. Hot girls have IBS. It's natural. You know, I think it's important that we encourage and break the stigma of talking about our bowel habits, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because there are life-threatening things that could be going on. And if you're not talking about it, then we don't know about it. Mm So we really want to break that stigma and encourage patients to, you know, reach out to their primary care doctors to get um, referred to the gastroenterologist so that we can make sure they get their appropriate evaluation in a timely fashion. Well, and I think you mentioned earlier about having that good relationship with the patient, and that's so Absolutely. important. And I think it's interesting when you think about this, A, this topic is no one wants to talk about their poop, no. you know, not with their but, friends, but then they're like not even with their doctor. And your doctor's heard worse. Don't I've worry. heard worse. I've seen it or all. if they haven't, it's fine because this is their job. Exactly. But also the population that you said it's most common in is women. And then mm-hmm. when we think about IBS, specifically it is younger people so then are we just ignoring young women and these pcps are just like oh you're fine so like no like advocate for yourself advocate for yourself if if you feel there's something is wrong find you know advocate talk about it if you're not um, getting the answers that you need if you have a different subspecialist that you're seeing talk to them about it yeah I've had patients tell me I tried to come and see you, but I couldn't get referred by my primary Mm. care and my GYN referred me to Mm -hmm. you. Right. Just tell anyone uh, if you're not getting the answers that you're looking for. Just talk about if you're concerned about something, if something is different that you feel is not normal or you're hearing something on today's podcast, you're like, I don't go except for every week. That's not normal. If you're having diarrhea all the time around the clock that's not normal come talk to us come see us let's help figure it out for you and get you to having that golden poo oh my <laughs> gosh Gold we should standard. have like do you have like a trophy that we can like give out no i don't but i think i need one now maybe i can need find on it on amazon <laughs> i mean this is this is like i know for live but not, not to bring it back to live but let me tell you one thing <laughs> every time she poops in our house it's her whole family my, my daughter's it. She she's like I just pooped. We all like run in there because it's, it's it's so perfect. Last night I swear to God I swear to God, um, live with live was like I just pooped and my and Adrian and Evan were like yeah. okay I I need to go and look because it is like 
I, I already. I, I hope you have pictures of this poo. I do. Oh, oh, don't worry. I'm going to show you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show me afterwards. I'm so sorry. I mean, but we could get more followers. More I don't fans. think we're not using Liv's poop to get more followers. <laughs> I don't think you. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, Dr. Case, would you help us to make some like episode guides, some like really fun things that we can put on our podcast so that people will see all that you gave us so much information. I know we talked about so much. I mean, yes. there's so much to talk about with poo like there's I, I, so I many more things questions. Oh, you like, can just go on a tangent yeah, it can just go and go it's uh, you know so we we'll love have what, to have you back we, we love what we do don't yeah, we yeah we, we sure love what do. do we're like leaning so, into these yes. mics so interesting things i was like I oh by the way i have this interesting situation yeah. and i have the opportunity to, to discuss share, it and yeah. share it with you and the audience and so yeah. i will keep you guys um afloat as to what happens with my food bezoar yes yeah please do I'm yeah so i don't know i don't know this is like i'm like oh dear oh no <laughs> oh, dear. are you sure it was definitely food you don't think it's this- food it was literally a ball of food all stuck together all oh. of my staff and i literally gasped we're like oh my gosh and they're like oh Huh. You know, I have seen the the um the hair the hair. I can't think of yeah, the name. Yeah, that's why. Of it, like, are you sure that it? this patient's not doing no, something? No, it's not. It's not. I've seen that. That is freaky. When the whole thing comes out in the cast shape of the stomach. Wow. That, <laughs> but what do I do about this? Food bezoar. You might, yeah, you <laughs> what is it? Trichophagia. Thank you, trichophagia. But there's another name for it there. where it's like trichotillomania. Trichotillomania. So trichophagia is the compulsive eating, eating of hair, hair associated with pulling hair. Pulling hair out. And yeah. yeah. I said trichinosis, which I think okay. is the um, foodborne illness you get from yes. pork. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay, close, but uh, that, yeah. <laughs> Oh it's my. super fascinating. Well, you might need a surgeon to go in there. Yes. Laparoscopic made a hole and just like, like pull it out. But yeah, I may have to write it up. I'll let you guys keep you guys definitely in the loop. write it up. Video yeah. that. Yeah. All of it. Yes. Wow. Wild. We do live fascinating we lives. We do. Yeah. If we think about it, we live. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I agree. We live very exciting, fascinating lives. And it's more fascinating when we actually get to share it with one another. Because sometimes we're just. Just by ourselves thinking Think about, about it. it. <laughs> I know. It's like, These are the boy, things that keep was... you up at night. <laughs> yes. yes. Seriously. Yeah. I really, I really, I was like, I who am I? Okay. I need to talk to somebody about yeah. this. What am I going to do about if the food bees are still there when I do her EGD again? Oh, well, you got me on speed dial. I know. Yeah. So you let me know. I will let you know. Well, we love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much thank for being you. with us. Everyone check out Dr. Case on Instagram yes. at Dr. Susan Case. Yes. K-A-I-S. Yeah. And of course, we're on Instagram at Dr. X Dietitian. You can also check out our website, drxdietitian.com. Any final parting words for uh, the hot girls who poop? Listen. And hot men. You know, boys. We love to hear about your poop, but nobody wants anyone riding dirty during a colonoscopy. Okay. So please take your prep accordingly. And thank you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wonderful. Well, we will definitely check out our website, like Hannah said, because we will have plenty of episode. I'm a, we're on the right, like a five-part episode I guide know. on this yeah. one with all this information. <laughs> but if something's not right, make sure you speak, seek medical help always. Yes. Drink your water. Move your legs and get a squatty potty. And be happy. <laughs> yeah. The more that thing's evacuated, the better we feel. That's right. Better out than in, as my brother would say. There we go. <laughs> we, we, we could go all day with these yeah, things. Right. <laughs> all right. We'll see you all next week. See you guys. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.